Did you know when when you say Coolio, uh-huh. uh, it's a link? No. To what? Um, to, so the artist? Yeah. Like so. So you texted me Coolio. I click and it's underlined, and uh, I click on and this is in uh, messages, Apple messages, and uh, it's at the. I click on the link and it says iTunes Store Coolio, and then the second uh, art it says artist on Apple Music, and then the second one is a Gangsta's Paradise. Yeah, album by Curtis. Coolio, 1995. Great, great, great album. And then, uh, and then uh, below that is Wikipedia, and then uh, suggested websites including Coolio.com, which apparently is temporarily disabled. Wow. Well, um, Coolio. That's I had no idea. He's. Um, I really like Coolio. I have a dog who's barking in the in the background. Just so you know. I I can uh, I cannot hear your dog. Uh, I I may also have dogs barking at some point. Well, we'll just ignore them. Oh, um, oh, I heard a dog. Yeah, he's he's uh, he's fighting with something on on a bed. I'm not sure what it is. <laughs> he uh, he's he's just uh, really uh, trying to, I think, rip apart a quilt. Um, yeah, Gangster's Paradise was awesome. Yeah, well, so we'll uh, we'll link to uh, we'll link to uh, wait. No, this is uh, all right, and this is a commercial for. General Electric. Uh, anyway, we we will link to uh, we will link to uh, Gangsters Paradise, or as it says in, in uh, on my phone, Gangsta's Paradise. Gangsta's, yes. Um, he. Uh, do you ever watch that movie, uh, Dangerous Minds? That's what uh, Gangsters Paradise is from. Um, I don't know. It sounds like I should have watched it. It's um, Michelle Pfeiffer, uh, and it was it was pretty good. John John Smith, hmm. uh, who's a director. He also did. Uh, let me see. Nothing else. Um, but I remember when it came out, it was a it was a big deal, uh, and also had a really really great soundtrack. Other things on that soundtrack: uh, "Rage Against Machine" album or a song that I really liked. You know what else is a good song? Uh, I don't know what Weird, else. Weird Al Yankovic, "Amish Paradise." <laughs> Amish Paradise. Yeah, Amish Paradise. Uh, it, that, that's true, uh, and uh, the uh, derivative from uh, Coolio's "Gangster Paradise." Yeah, how about that? Um, <laughs> What else? What else is on there? Oh, j- uh, on the dangerous mind. No, you know what? I'm I got dangerous minds uh, confused with higher learning, which is mm. also a very similar uh, uh, movie. Which uh, actually, I think the higher learning soundtrack was much better. So, which one is Coolio's Gangsters Paradise on? <laughs> that is Dangerous Minds. Okay. Um, and uh, they have some good songs on there, like uh, uh, "Put You Back Into It." Uh, feel the funk, uh, gin and juice, but it's a uh, it's a cover of the Snoop Dogg gin and juice. You know, you know who doesn't like Dangerous Minds? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, it is twenty nine percent on the Rotten Meter. Uh, so it is. Uh, it is. Uh, yeah, people do not like that movie. I I kind of liked it. It uh-huh. may have been, uh, it may, might have been uh, stage and age. Uh, it came out in uh, nineteen ninety five, so I would have been uh, let's see eighteen years old. Really in the I would say the prime of my movie viewing um, uh, uh, episode or whatever. And I uh, definitely saw Dangerous Minds um, in the uh, in the theater. Hmm. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, I definitely have not seen this. So there you go. Negative reviews is wrong. So, so we have uh, one thumbs up and uh, one uh, I've never seen it. So One no thumb. No one thumb. No, one no thumb. thumb. Uh, also, uh, my Indian name. <laughs> right. Yeah. Don No Thumbs. Uh, here's, 
Here's a quote uh, from. I think uh, that's probably racist. We should cut that out. Oh, it's probably true. Um, uh, Edward Guthman in the San Francisco Chronicle wrote uh, of Dangerous Minds: "It's contrived, it's hokey, but Dangerous Minds, a Michelle Pfeiffer vehicle, works surprisingly well." Um, she's playing uh, with a bag of cliches, but she's so plucky and likable. You overlook the hokum. That's okay. a great. That's really. It's a bag, great review. Bag, bag of cliches. Bag of cliches. It's she's plucky and likable. I I thought it was a good movie. Really okay. good. Uh, now I wouldn't. I'm not. I'm not going to put it up there with, uh, um, uh, you know, the top top ten movies of all time. But uh, yeah, it was pretty good. All right. Um. Yeah. So Coolio. There you go. I had no idea. Uh, I think it's that a new my... thing that uh, that uh, the the uh, messages is doing. I'm not sure. Oh, hey, look! Even in the scent, I can see that it it does it. Cool. It takes me right to uh, artist on. Yeah, it goes right to iTunes. Huh. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to start answering texts with other artists. <laughs> yes, names. exactly. Like like when you text me, I'm just settling in. Giving me three minutes. Give me three minutes. I will respond with Bob Dylan <laughs> because that that's like perfectly well, appropriate it makes yeah. total sense yes well i'll say um uh willie nelson and johnny cash <laughs> the oh, highwaymen what if uh what if what if you respond to somebody uh by saying wham uh, so you know that that <laughs> might that might actually be something that uh yeah but oh but it doesn't uh it doesn't doesn't do anything we have to wham what? with an exclamation yeah. mark yeah i was just yeah. gonna have to add the mark Oh, and I, and then you also have to spell it correctly. Yeah, if you say if you if you say why, it definitely won't link to that. So, uh, all right. Well, we have we have to we have to investigate further. We do, we do. Well, that was uh, yeah. Well, that's that's not bad. That's good information. Um, uh, speaking, uh, Don. Ben. Speaking of artists. Yes. Speaking of of new music, as mm. we uh, as you know, as uh, a 1995 soundtrack to uh, Dangerous Minds would qualify as new music. Um, <laughs> Uh, Drake, you know, my buddy Drake, you know, uh, um, you know, why you got to fight with me at cheesecake. Yes. New album last week. Oh, Drop. nice. It is Don, As they say, it's lit. Is it? Is it lit? <laughs> oh, it's lit. It's so lit. It's on fire. I love it. Uh, I've been listening to uh, a lot of, a lot of Drake. Um, so, so I, I, I would, I would suggest if you are, um, a fan of uh, of the rap music to go listen to uh, this new this new Drake album, which he doesn't even call an album; he calls it a playlist. Hmm. Yeah, hmm. and uh, interestingly, it's titled "More Life." I, I would I would have thought it would be like "Mo Life." <laughs> Mo Life? No, no, it's more life. More life. Um, and, and news. Mm. Uh, breaking news, uh, as I see from Fader, uh, more life will be reportedly be released as a CD. <laughs> okay, not just a playlist. Not just a playlist. Okay, it, it's referred to as a twenty-two track collection. Okay, I uh, like I, that. Sounds like an album to me, like a long album, like what we would we in the in back in the day we would call a double album. Yeah. It, it was streamed 89.9 million times on Apple Music in the first 24 hours after its release. Wow. Giving Drake the record for most single-day album streams. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Well, that's a, that, that's a something. That's a something. Yeah. You got, you got on this thing, you got Young Thug. You got Kanye West. You got Skepta. You got uh, Sampha. Wait, Two wait, chains. Wait, he has a song called Kanye West? No, no, no. These are, these oh. are they, they're c- contributors. These are... Uh, okay. Drake featuring Kanye West. Oh, got it, got it. Okay. Yeah, uh, and, and we we do have this uh, 
um, this this conversation in in the car while I expose my children to Drake. Um, the uh, for for the parenting folks out there, um, the non explicit lyric version, mm-hmm. uh, which which fools no one in my house, uh, because every time there's something, it's not beeped anymore. It's just like the under the underlying music track continues to go, and then they cut a word. Right. Uh, and and so. But your kids are wise to that. Yeah, they're like that's a bad word. That's that's a bad word there. Do they do they know what the bad word is from the context? They do oh. for the well for the most part. Mm-hmm. I mean they they're familiar with a few of them. Um. So yeah, they're uh, and then on one of uh, one of our children's uh, iPhones, um, he has the uh, somehow has the explicit version of a Kanye West song, which I can't see. Like every time I reload it as the non-explicit version, it automatically populates with the explicit version. So huh. I don't I don't know what to do. Wow. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a serious uh, oversight. It is. I don't know how to, how to deal with it. So I've just left it and said, don't say any of these words at, at school. Yeah. Don't, and don't play this at, uh, at school. Is this, when oh. is that, now is this on, does he have a phone? Oh, he's got like a phone that doesn't really have a phone. Okay. Like, like he's got my old phone. Right. Which, which but, doesn't have a phone connection. It's just, it's, so yeah. it's basically just a, uh, it's, it's a, it's an iPod touch uh, it is. with, uh, that could be turned into a phone if somebody were to activate it. Right. iPod yeah. touch with phone, with phone capability. Um, and a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of music, uh, and, uh, YouTube, uh, uh video, uh, potential. So when he's, I mean, when he's on a wireless network, it's essentially a phone. Mm. You can does, FaceTime. Does, now this is, this is interesting. So this is all like phones, phones came along late in, uh, uh, my kid's, uh, academic career. So are you, uh, do you let him take it to school? No. Okay. No. And, and it's, it's, I don't even know if there's a policy against it. I assume that there is, but I'm, he, they're just so irresponsible that if he took it to school, he would lose it or be broken. And then I'd have to go get myself a new phone so he could get my old old new phone, mm. um, which was clearly how I would uh, deal with that. So I'm, I'm just trying to not have to pay for an extra an extra phone. And does he uh, – and does he – so this, now this has turned into kid safety talk. So does yeah. he have um, – like unlimited access to that at home or are there rules? No, there's, there's rules. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that we have uh, written standard operating procedures about it, but it is the first thing that is taken away when, uh, when there's trouble, when there's trouble in the hen house. Ah. Uh, and so, um, and then, um, going, you know, going to bed, he, he reads books. Um, so it doesn't go to, to bed with him. Okay. Uh, but it is something that will charge overnight. So as he wakes up in the morning, he can go. Both both kids actually have like one, Sam has Danny's old phone and Jack has my old phone. So hmm. they uh, they will watch. You know, sometimes they prefer to watch other people play Minecraft on YouTube, Apparently which I don't understand. Yeah, I don't understand that either. But we're not the only podcasters who've discussed that and are similarly puzzled by it. Yeah. Uh, and they're really into it, so they may do that. Um, they may uh, they may play Minecraft on it. I don't know what they. I, I actually don't know what they do. We haven't. I. I you know, <clears throat> it could be that I'm like lazy on this stuff. I haven't gone and put restrictions. Mm-hmm. So Era, we've talked about our yep. our shared uh, wireless um, network, Eero, and I mean shared by the like we, by, all, we, we we don't have the same we're not on right. the same network, but we both share that we have purchased this network. Yes. Correct. Um, and uh, it allows you to dedicate uh, blackout time uh, for kids. So you could sort of say, all right, this child can always have this device, but he won't have 
access to the internet for these hours. We we haven't gone to to do that. It's easy. It's much easier for us to just take the device away mm -hmm. and put it up high where they can't reach it. <laughs> yes. Um, so that's what we do. We put it on top of uh, uh, the cabinets in our kitchen. That's and that's what you call a physical barrier. It is a physical barrier, and uh, and it, and it works for the most part mm -hmm. until. We get in the car and I say, have I taken your phone away from you? And they say, yes. And I realized that we're driving somewhere for like an hour and a half. And I was like, okay, here's the deal. You can use it for this hour and a half, but then you are, it's going back uh, above the cabinet in the kitchen. Oh, okay. So in other words, like you've, he's on restriction, but you're yeah. going to, you're going to give him a, uh, what do you call it? A, uh, a, a reprieve, re reprieve uh, yeah. uh, not a pardon. Furlough. Uh, furlough. Furlough. That's the word I'm looking for. You give yeah, him a furlough. Give him a furlough. Uh, for for a, yeah for a for defined a, amount of time, right. which is about keeping uh, our sanity exactly. Be, yeah. Um, so yeah, so yeah, it's 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 interesting, Sam. Um, it's interesting to me, and and you know, <laughs> maybe by the fact I'm talking about it, and you're asking questions, interesting to you, uh, <laughs> others, who knows? Um, but Sam, um, he they they do a lot of learning on iPads mm. in his that, uh, cool. program. Mm -hmm school and so he has multiple reading apps and learning apps that he also has on his phone so he'll read um he'll read in spanish um on a on a couple of apps on his on his phone or on his ipad as we go to bed so there's there's a you know there's there's not just a let's let's watch people play uh minecraft uh application to them hmm. um and so that's that's been been good but he's also in a stage where he's really excited about reading actual books to us as he goes to sleep so or yeah. not at, like at bedtime yeah i have uh, i have been uh not reading books and I, I i'm endeavoring to get back into it um but i'm but i have not uh, i've not made uh, that uh jump yet um i am <laughs> i have started playing a new uh game uh which i guess is nominally uh book related uh because it involves word puzzles um and i do want to i do want to give a plug to this game it's a pretty good game it's called type shift and i, I found out about this from the merriam webster uh twitter account and basically it's uh you know it's you have to uh it's got these little uh, uh, letters and you, and they scroll up and down, uh, and they make words left to right. And you have to, uh, you know, by scrolling them up and down, you have to make uh, certain, you have to make words and it's, 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 it's pretty, it's pretty cool. It sucked, sucked me in. So, yeah, so it's a complete waste of time, but it's nominally more educational than, than things that don't involve words, I suppose. <laughs> I'm uh, currently uh, getting it. Yeah, it's free. It's free. Uh, free to download. It has in-app purchase. Um, haven't purchased anything yet, but I'm, the ads are ads are mildly annoying. I might just want to do it to give the uh, to give the developer some money, actually. And I've heard, and part of what clinched it for me to go ahead and get it was I've heard of another app uh, that the same developer developed uh, called Really Bad Chess that a uh, number of uh, uh, podcasts I listened to had talked about. Um, and so I was like, oh, I can, I can, I can. Do, download this app from, from the same developer. Cause I'm not really, again, I just was, just didn't want to get into another, another, uh, game. So I didn't download really bad chess, even though it was, was recommended, but, but I'm liking, I'm liking, uh, this, uh, uh, this app pretty much. So cool. Yeah. It, it looks, it looks nice. Well, and that's the, that's the thing. It's like the nerds that I follow on the internet. Uh, they're all about like nice looking apps. And so they would never use an app that wasn't nice looking, looking. So. Yeah. I, I have been playing 
um, when I'm when I'm traveling or like trying to kill time and I don't have good internet or or whatever, I've been playing like Free Cell and Minesweeper, like like real. I mean old old school stuff. Hearts. Uh, what else do I have on here? Euchre. Mm. Like just ran, you know, I oh I and I you know I just uh, I enjoy them for a while. I, I had an app, a Sudoku, Sudoku, mm-hmm. whatever yep. app that I would do, um, and I would, but I I got out of that. It it's I started um, um, like seeing numbers and grids and like when I was streaming and sleeping, wow. I was like I gotta I gotta stop this. Yeah, Kristen is really into Sudoku. She has a a book that she's working through, and she's just really really getting really getting good at it. But yeah, and I had went through a Sudoku phase, but. Yeah, it's just uh, I don't know, just not not interested anymore. But this this uh, this type shift uh, is got my attention. So, well, it's cool, and it's an actually a Miriam Webster Webster sponsored yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, um, it's it's nice. And 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 by the way, I think we talked about it before on the podcast. But if you're not following uh, Miriam Webster um, on Twitter, you should uh, because the uh, the the Twitter account is uh, subtweeting uh, the uh, the president. <laughs> so highly highly recommended. Oh, it's so good. Oh, funny, funny, funny. Um, well, that's cool. Oh, hey, hey. So this is the part of the podcast where we talk about everything that's not food safety that's going on. Um, Don, guess what I had to do uh, like a week and a half ago? <laughs> You'll never guess. Um, I always like doing this. Too. Uh, what did you have to do a week and a half ago? Well, it wouldn't be something like like uh, bodily functions because you nope. do that more often than that. Um, Daily. Yeah. <laughs> Do that every good, day. Good, glad to hear it. Yeah. Um, and it's not. It's is it, is it immigration related? No, no, okay. it's not. Um, it's dog it's related. Dog related. Oh, you had to get your dog snipped. No, did no. that a while ago. Okay. My dog is a menace, oh. like an absolute menace. He might be the worst dog in the world. Oh. He has eaten, not just not just like chewed on, but eaten and destroyed. Um, now six remotes. Oh, that's and, not good. So I think I talked about this on a previous podcast that he had done this, and now I have gone to Target, purchased uh, backup remotes, and mm. programmed them. Wow. And I say this because I'm looking at a purple remote that is on my home office desk that that I would not have chosen this color, um, and, except it is the only one that was there. Um, and uh, yeah, so he oh. this menace of a dog uh, decided to chew chew apart uh, and yesterday he ate my uh, razor as well Ooh, oh that's not, it's good. It's not good okay okay yeah. yeah i uh we we have uh we have as as listeners and as you know we have two dogs in the house right now and the young one uh, bianca is a chewer um <clears throat> But fortunately, she hasn't really gotten a hold of anything. I keep I keep waiting for her to chew on my um, AirPods case, in which case I will I will <laughs> drop kick her across the room, um, uh, uh, literally. I mean, figuratively, not not literally. Um, uh, but uh, yeah. So, but but she's been she's I, mostly she does like the problem is if she does chew something up, it will likely be a mistake because one thing that we love to do or that she loves is we will give her like plastic bottles that are empty. Um, uh, prior to them going in the recycling because she just loves to, to chew on them and it gives her something to do. I mean, she has plenty of dog toys too, but, uh, yeah, so we do that. Uh, and then at some point she may, what did she, she started to chew something. Um, oh, I always, a little mesh bag that I keep my phone charger in. Like I have a, a, a phone, phone battery, uh, uh, 
thing and uh, and she just started to chew on that because I think she just thought it was oh this is on the floor like like she'll run around like a crazy dog and she'll knock stuff on the floor and then she's like oh look this is on the floor this must be for me and then she'll chew. <laughs> right right yeah I know so, that uh, honest mistake um, yeah right right because all my stuff is on the floor if it's on the floor it might be it's it's probably it's for mine me, right exactly yeah that's that's hilarious um, Stanley Stanley is like if it's on the kit the uh, uh, um bathroom vanity he believes it's for him so oh. he has um taken now chewed and taken to bed with him in in our bed uh a f- almost brand new full tube of toothpaste oh. yeah not not good um he has chewed uh two pairs of danny's glasses um which he has purchased uh, glasses insurance on so that's nice mm. Um, and, uh, and now my, my razor, my electric, uh, trimmer, uh, plus a, a boatload of remotes. So if you are, um, if you are looking for recommendations on cheap yet functional, um, uh, replacement universal remotes, uh, I'm happy to provide some, uh, individual one-on-one feedback, uh, for a listener on that. Um, the, uh, using, I now have, uh, three of the exact same universal remotes for three different, um, uh, brands of television. Uh, and, and so the, the best part of that is that the, um, none of the input buttons are exactly the same. And so oh. I have to figure out which one I'm using to get it right. Oh yeah. It's, it's an absolute mess. Now we have, I- we have, uh, uh, like the TiVo remote, uh, and we have the television remote and we have the Apple remote and, uh, and unfortunately, all three are needed to properly operate our television set at various times. So the good yeah. news is that um, I have a, a, a TiVo app uh, uh, on my phone, which will let me simulate the remote, and then the Apple Remote app on my phone will also that'll so that'll work. Um, but it, what 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 it doesn't do, it, what nothing on my phone apparently will do, although I haven't really researched it to confirm this, will will be to let me switch between inputs. On my television, so if I need to go from the TiVo to the Apple uh, TV or back, uh, I still need to use the the television remote. So yeah, it's 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 annoying, but you know whatever. What are you gonna do? It's all exactly. It's all it's all annoying, and uh, all I, all I want to do is just have one uh, one thing turn my TV on and and have it function on like nine different uh, external things like uh, a satellite from Canada and my Apple TV and its own internal Amazon. Like, you know, the, we're, we're too complicated. Yeah, I just want to watch my shows, Ben. I just want to watch my shows. I just want to watch the shows. <laughs> All the great it's what, shows. It's what the president does. He just watches. I get it from the shows. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> I just, I, yes. Ugh. Hey, um, did you know, Ben, um, and you might not know this. You probably do. Um, did you know that leftover rice could make you very sick? I... Funny, funny. You should ask about that. I knew that. Um, Did you? It, yeah. Someone, uh, someone asked me that. That you're not the first person to ask me that question in the last uh, 24 hours. Huh? Or 40 or 48 hours or however how many hours it was. Yeah. yeah no. So, I, uh, so thanks to you, by the way, uh, for so this is we're talking about a, a life hacker article. Um, so not only not only can you use soap to clean your dishes, according to Life Hacker, but also apparently uh, uh, leftover rice could make you very sick. Um, yeah, and, and so you got contacted by uh, somebody from Lifehacker. Then you very nicely uh, looped me in, and uh, I gave uh, I gave a little bit of quote, and uh, my quote got uh, uh, featured in the story. So that was that was cool. I, I uh, that was nice. 
Absolutely. Well, I know, you know, you know, some more stuff on this than, than I do. I know, I know a little bit of it and, uh, I wanted to make sure I always get like mixed up on, um, on putting it all together. Um, <laughs> so here's, you know, like I can find anyway, when it comes to rice, um, and you and I have talked about, um, this pathogen in the past as it relates to uh, mighty taco, but bacillus serious is this you know, this pathogen that sort of rises to the top. And, and so um, Claire Lauer from uh, Lifehacker um, found found me, sent me a message a couple of days ago and said, hey, um, it, people tell me that leaving rice out overnight is a really bad idea. Um, are they just freaking out? Is it true? And and so I, you know, I introduced Bacillus series to her and, uh, um, and said, well, this is what we're really, um, worried about. I, Lifehacker, and you and I have talked a little bit about this in the past too. Um, Lifehacker tends to do a little more in depth on the, on the science than, than other outlets. And I like that. Um, especially when it comes to soap and washing dishes, um, obviously, but, um, no, on, on the food safety stuff, they ask really good questions and, and it started for me, I think the first interview I did with them was around bluebell and we were talking about listeria and I said, well, you know, listeria grows at refrigeration temperatures and the, um, many times the, the journalist or the interviewer kind of says, Oh, okay, great. And they write that down. And Lifehacker, um, and I can't remember who it was at the time, asked why. Why does Listeria grow at refrigeration temperatures and it doesn't, and, and other pathogens don't? And that's a really good question. Yeah. And, and so, so I, I, I always like make, I get up for them, right? Like yeah. they, they ask great questions. And, and so I, I want to, knowing that, you know, she was asking about, um, what about rice? And, and it wasn't just a simple, oh, yeah, Bacillus serious and some foodborne pathogens. Like, well, we have this whole situation of spores, and those spores are going to turn into vegetative cells, but there's going to be this lag period, both as, the, you know, both. In the germination outgrowth and in the in the bacterial growth, and then we have toxin formation. And so to put it all together, like the quick answer is like, yeah, four hours. It's actually a little more nuanced than that. Um, and and so uh, you know, I sent I, I sent Clara um, a link to a paper from the seventies that that took that had a really great visual on that, and then wanted to loop you in because you uh, you know about stuff like this. Yeah, and 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 thanks. And so, and again, the story that I love to tell about rice is uh, like a restaurant. In, and again, we'll we'll single out uh, Chinese restaurants, not to be not to be ping pong. That's a that's a Roderick on the line reference for those of you who who, who follow that that podcast. <laughs> um, uh, uh, Chinese restaurants are uh, associated with bacillus cereus food poisoning for the reason that sometimes they have a practice of cooking up a big batch of rice and leaving it out at room temperature. Um, and then frying it up to make fried rice. The frying process, of course, kills the cells, uh, but not the heat-stable toxin. And yeah, and bacil- and, and and I think that's one of the, the one of the quotes that uh, she ended up uh, using. So that was that was that was very nice. Um, but Bacillus cereus is a really interesting organism. It is not terribly widely studied. Um, and in fact, uh, I, just interestingly enough, I was talking last week, no, earlier this week, with a graduate student who is uh, works full-time in the industry, who is getting her PhD and who's trying to figure out a, a PhD project. Um, and 
and so she's interested in Bacillus cereus because it, it is actually a problem for her company, right? Like they have these huh. products where they they make from various starch based ingredients, and they have pro- that they would like to, um, uh, you know, they, they add water, they add you know various spice mixtures, whatever, and then they 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 want to from for practical reasons be able to leave that at certain temperatures for a certain amount of time, and so they have a, a protocol in place that is highly conservative, and so she wants to do some research that will you know, basically try to investigate what the risk is and then what the, what the best practices might be for some of these, um, some of these products. And, and again, a lot of, lot, not much uh, research on bacillus, serious. The research that has been done overwhelmingly has been focused on rice for, for a variety of reasons. Um, and they don't have any rice based ingredients. And so she, or, or at least not many. And so she wants to focus on other potential ingredients, you know, starch sources, uh, where, where, so again, it's just, it's just a lot of really interesting stuff there and surprisingly, or maybe not, uh, still lots of really good research, you know, that we need to do. So, and, and it's, it's a, it's a tricky organism to work for apparently, uh, work with apparently, Detecting the toxin is kind of tricky, um, uh, and so uh, yeah, there will be a lot of challenges. And, and also, I would say not not widely studied generally, and and certainly not tends to not be studied in the United States for for whatever reason. The the people that do research with bacillus tend to be uh, based in Europe or, or other parts of the world. So for whatever reason, we don't we don't really you know doesn't we, not, we don't have the problem or we don't anyway. It's just there's not there's not a go-to expert on bacillus cereus in the United States, at least not as far as I know. Well, it's, it's funny you mentioned that there isn't a lot out there because the first, um, the first thing that I was uh, trying to answer for Claire was this idea that, that I saw in, that I've seen in, in many um, outbreak um, investigation reports. CDC's got on a few MMWR reports about um Bacillus serious spores being very common and, and knowing, you know, knowing that this was going to be a, a, a life hacker question of how common is it? Yep. Uh, um, I, I really couldn't find an answer for it. And so I, you know, I, I kind of uh, fell back onto this quote of it's quite prevalent in dried rice and some sources say it's ubiquitous um, likely as spores, but um, there isn't really like, a great like ten percent or point two percent or ninety percent, um, and, and I could find a little bit on spores and spices and a little bit in dried peppers um, and. Um, and other things, but man, it was tough to answer that question. Well, and I can tell you uh, from from unpublished data, we that's one of the pathogens that we look for in foods that we test from Rutgers University dining halls, and I can tell you, we find it on a quite a regular basis, more often than we find Staphylococcus, and so huh. and so we'll and you know again, typically counts are low, fifty or a hundred. You know, certainly less than a thousand uh, per gram, but we do find it on a regular basis. And I would say that, and and so what we do is we we look we we you plate the foods on MYP agar. There's a characteristic uh, appearance of bacillus. We pick the colonies that look characteristic, and we put them on sheep's blood agar. And if it causes hemolysis on sheep's blood, then um, we 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 say, okay, that's bacillus, or that's a that's a you know beta hemolytic, um, um, you know, spore former. And so we'll. We'll, you know, we'll call that a positive, and we'll and we'll report the number of uh, the number of colonies on MYP. So, um, and it it shows up from again from time to time, typically not at high levels, and we know generally that high levels are needed to cause illness. Although apparently there's some 
uh, I, I thought, always thought there was a pretty clear correlation between uh, toxin and uh, the number of cells, but the graduate student that I mentioned um, that's working on this, uh, she seemed to indicate from her looking at the literature that's not true. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's one of those bugs that we all know about. People are taught about it, but, but for whatever reason, it's probably because it's not terribly serious, doesn't cause a lot of uh, deaths, although it does cause illnesses. Um, probably just not a lot of people have done research on it. Right, right, and and it's um, yeah. It, it, I, I think it just hasn't been linked to some of the more notable um, large scale outbreaks, right? Like, right. like it, yeah, they're they're localized. They're right, right. right. They, yeah, they tend to be a single. Well, they tend to be like mighty taco, right? They tend right. to be uh, a region or a very small uh, window you know, a small exposure and, uh, you know, pr- probably again, lots of, probably lots of outbreaks and we can, we can see what CDC has to say in, in Scallon, but, but probably a lot of outbreaks, but probably, you know, not, not a lot really rises to the level where CDC or FDA uh, or, or USDA gets involved. Yeah. It, it, inter- like in, interesting again, as I started to look at the prevalence stuff, um, even this, like just the small number of samples that are taken when someone's trying to answer that question, mm-hmm. um, so there's a, a paper we'll link to um, back from 2000 uh, that was in Journal of Applied Microbiology, and it's entitled Prevalence, Characterization, and Growth of Bacillus Serious and Commercial Cooked Chilled Foods Containing Vegetables. And so when I look at that, I was like, prevalence, okay. That means someone's going to go do a survey and, and look at how common is it. And in total, um, they took nine, 18, uh, just, uh, you know, 23 samples. <laughs> that's and, uh that's not enough ben i, I don't know <laughs> right uh, it's like not it doesn't really help me tell it doesn't tell the story of how prevalent it is no not at all i'm like uh, hell we we have more than 29 i mean ah, uh, anyway this, yeah. I, but, I should go i should go publish a paper on bacillus in uh, dining hall food yeah so out of four uh uh samples i don't even know i can't even read this this table um but it uh, looks like uh, 25% of their broccoli, 25% of their carrot, uh, and 25% of their courgette samples uh, had uh, were positive. Uh, that's, uh, I think, uh, 21 out of four that's, for each I think, of those. I think that's pronounced courgette. I don't know what you're – I think you're – you are – that is entirely too Canadian of you. <laughs> I don't even know what cour, courgette is. I think it's eggplant. Oh, isn't that uh, ampersand? <laughs> yes, you're right. It's ampersand. <laughs> it's it's something else. What do they call it? Like our aubergine. Aubergine. Yes, you're right. You're right. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Uh, if Cor- only we had a way to look stuff up uh, quickly uh, by typing on a keyboard. I think you're thinking of courgette greens. I think you're which, right. Uh, yeah. And in, in ampersand greens. Uh, anyway, yeah. So uh, yeah, great. Well, and I would great. I would say too. This is an article from uh, uh, Frederick uh, Carlin, who I know, and P.E. Granham, who is probably I would say closest person I know to a world expert in Bacillus cereus. Like certainly the the person that comes to my mind when when I think about Bacillus. So again, a pretty small field. Uh, not not a lot of people doing research in this area. Wow. Cool. Well, anyway, it's, I'm cool. I'm glad that Lifehacker uh, was uh, asked us about uh, some something that wasn't about uh, should you wash your dishes. Exactly. Hey, you, before you mentioned um, um, MMWR, which made me think of another thing I want to talk about, 
which is uh, there is apparently – there was apparently an outbreak of salmonella associated with truffle, truffle oil in the District of Columbia in 2005. Did you see the story? I did see the story. Let's talk about this. Okay. So um, – I will. Uh, I'll set it up, and then uh, we'll let you we'll let you pontificate for a while and see where we go with this. So, uh, September eighth, twenty fifteen, the District of Columbia Department of Health uh, received a call from a person who was ex- uh, experiencing uh, GI illness after eating at a District of Columbia restaurant. Uh, this is of great interest to me um, because I often go to the District of Columbia and often <laughs> eat at uh, restaurants there. Um, and, but of course, in typical uh, CDC fashion, uh, they have not. Uh, they have not actually revealed the, the, the identity of the restaurant. Uh, hey, hey, I know who it is. Oh, tell me. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's Fig and Olive. Oh. Um, yeah, Fig, Fig and Olive. Uh, so we, and I'll link to uh, the whole history of this outbreak that we have on Barf Blog. Because um, we, uh, it, you know, CDC didn't, didn't mention it. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but uh, yeah, there's, uh, they were sued. They settled with 46 of their, uh, 46 people that got sick. Um, I think it was, um, Marler represented them. This is, it was, yeah, it was an outbreak that, um, wasn't, it wasn't really clear exactly what it was until we saw the CDC, um, you know, uh, the DMMWR. Okay. Oh, oh, okay. In other words, you're right. So we, we were waiting for this, uh, this article to be published before we got the, the inside scoop on what CDC knew. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, so on the evening of September 9th, a local newspaper highlighted a possible outbreak associated with Restaurant A. Um, 159 patrons, residents of the 11 states in DC, uh, of 11 states in DC, with GI illness after eating at the restaurant during this uh, July to September timeframe. Uh, case control study suggested that it was truffle oil containing uh, suggested truffle oil containing food items as a possible source of Salmonella enterica. Now, so obviously. <clears throat> There are people didn't order truffle oil and then consume that, right? They or, they ordered a variety of dishes, but the th- unique thing that linked all these dishes was that they all contained truffle oil. So to me, that's fascinating that some epidemiologist was clever enough to put this together that in fact it was all of these particular ingredients that had uh, had truffle oil. So uh, anyway, interesting stuff. Uh, several violations were noted during the restaurant inspection, um, but the trace back did not confirm the contamination source. Uh, the restaurant, their license was suspended, um, uh, and uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, yeah, so uh, it's, it's a, we'll link to the whole article. People can go back and, and read it. But so what uh, What can you tell – oh, yeah, so what can you tell me about it, Ben? So, yeah, um, going reaching back into the archives a little bit, um, it, it looked like from uh, some of the stuff that we picked up back in 2015 2016 that um, the truffle oil containing dishes were were possible um, and uh, especially uh, looking at um, french fries that were served with truffle oil and some croquettes that also had truffle oil um, but there was a whole bunch of environmental samples and food samples uh, that were taken and and no uh, you know no smoking gun um, and so the you know the epi, epi is is what uh, um, sort of opened this this up when I read the uh, MMWR and you know I'll, um, I'll I'll send you this this link uh, right now so you can see all these old stories um it's uh y- you know it, 
it just kind of goes away, right? Like, like you have an outbreak and it's like, well, it might be this and we don't really know. And then no one really reports on it for a while. And then we get a gift, uh, um, you know, six or eight months later, uh, with all of the great data on, you know, 89% of case patients reported eating truffle oil containing items compared to 57% who didn't report, uh, gastrointestinal illnesses. Um, you know, gives this like, um, time frame, which is also kind of, uh, you know, kind of short, I think, uh, to me, if, it, if truffle oil is the, like, if it's, uh, if truffle oil is the source and, and not knowing much about the, the batches, but it's August 30th to September 5th. So it's really like a week long period. All the people that got, got sick ate in that, um, in that time frame. Uh, and, but it was, I mean, it's pretty large, 160 illnesses, almost 159 illnesses. Um, and so if, you know, if we, we, we've talked at length about, um, uh, salmonella in low moisture foods. And I would say that uh, truffle oil would be a pretty good example of a low moisture food. Wouldn't you? Yeah. And I, I want to especially talk about uh, table two in the MMWR article, because I think it shows, you know, because you know, Ben, I like to talk about statistics, um, and there's, do. there's statistics in this table. So, what this is, and again, you know, go, go, we'll we'll link to it. Uh, it, it. Table two is selected foods consumed by patrons who reported eating at restaurant A. In this case, we know now it's a fig and olive um, in the time frame, and <clears throat> there are one, two, three, four, five, six. Six different foods. They are burrata crostini, beef carpaccio, baranzo, uh, lamb chops, truffle mushroom, mushroom croquette, and truffle risotto. Three of those foods contain truffle oil. Three of those foods do not contain truffle oil. All of those foods have a p-value of less than 0.05 in terms of a difference between the case and control. So all of those foods... Um, would suggest could be linked to the outbreak. But then what, what uh, 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 CDC did is they also report in that same table any truffle oil-containing item, and the p-value there is less than 0.001, which is basically lower than all of the other p-values except for the truffle mushroom croquette. So, so although, although, again, the initial statistical screening would indicate um, six foods – three with truffle oil, three without. Further analysis shows that really it's any truffle-containing con- con- item uh, uh, you know, is, is responsible for the risk, although, like I said, probably it looks like most of that is being driven by this truffle mushroom croquette. But, but still, it's, it, it just shows you can't always trust statistics in terms of, like, is something significant. So, for example... Burrata crostini, um, p-value less than 0.01, um, but no truffle oil in that, right? Uh, beef right. carpaccio, there is truffle oil, but the p-value is only 0.04. And so, uh, again, partly because there's only one control subject that, that apparently that he ate the beef carpaccio. But, but again, this just shows how complicated uh, this can be. But in the end, uh, obviously, stuff gets figured out, and uh, it's, it's nice that uh, this got published. So, uh, And I think – uh, unique vehicle. I don't. I don't know of any other outbreaks uh, linked to truffle oil. Yeah, no, I, I think so. And and this, I, I don't know of any other. Um, also, um, thinking about um, the pathogen, which is enteritidis, mm. right? So, so here, here's a situation that the that could arise, right? Pure, pure, pure speculation, but. Um, 
we would typically associate enteritidis um, with with shell eggs, and you know maybe you have some cross contamination uh, during preparation with shell eggs. Maybe you're using um, you, as you're making a, a large batch of truffle oil, or you are storing it. Maybe you're using some un um, cleaned or sanitized. Uh, I guess you don't really make truffle oil, but um, some un, uh, non non clean and sanitized container. Or something happens, or you're mixing it up with uh, with a utensil that's been used with with shell eggs, and then all of a sudden truffle oil becomes the vehicle, right? Like one some contamination that wouldn't show up in the egg um, consumption is now stuck in in truffle in truffle oil as one as one potential here, as as I kind of looked at it. Um, but you know, there's, it, um, I, you know, there's, there's lots of you know, different ways for that, uh, truffle oil to be contaminated. Yeah. Well, and, and it's interesting, obviously this is, um, uh, it says, uh, yeah, truffle oil is regularly shipped to all restaurant, a locations across the United States, including locations without any reported illnesses. So this was multiple, this looks like it was multiple restaurants, right? Is that am I reading that correctly in terms of the traceback investigation? Uh, um, maybe. Uh, yeah. So distributed food items to both restaurants. Okay. So yeah. So gotcha. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Missed that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was. You know what? Here you yeah, go. Okay. Restaurants. Uh, hundred people. Hundred and fifty people sick in D.C. and Los Angeles. Okay. So there you go. Sorry about uh, missing that. Yeah. So, all right. So, so, so then the question becomes, well, okay. So yeah. So, so, all right. So truffle oil caused the outbreak, but where did the truffle oil come from? Right. Was it, was it made by the restaurant at a central location or was it purchased somewhere? If it was, well, uh, did anybody else at other places get this truffle oil? Right. I mean, uh, so, and I guess it's just, it's two restaurants. And so, well, here um, we go, okay. Don. Yeah, I got I got some more information okay. on this. Breaking news: uh, Washington City Paper, June tenth, uh, two thousand and sixteen. Um, ooh, coming up in your text right now. Uh, link to this in show notes. Uh, so these, uh, uh, where we go? Where do I want to start here? Um, components. Okay. Uh, truffle mushroom croquettes were a common denominator among fig and olive diners who got sick. Components of the dish were pre-prepared at a Long Island city commissary mm. that supplied fig and olives restaurants around the country with already made sauces, dressings, and more. The restaurant chain shut down its commissary for good shortly after the outbreak. Um, so, so we're talking about, uh, things that are, uh, you know, the, not, not a supplier potentially issue, but a commissary issue. Right. So this is, this is, this, this commissary is, uh, 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 uh let's see. So it does, doesn't, does it, it, does it say it's a, uh, uh, it is a fig and olive, uh, specific commissary or is it a, is it somebody that's supplying? Yeah. It just says Long Island city commissary that supplied, uh, fig and olives restaurants. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I think it was, I think it was a, uh, fig and olive commissary. Okay. And they're shipped around the country where it was reheated. Um, and so good job on Washington City Paper for doing this uh, um, this uh, digging. Uh, Fig and Olive, this is another article from December 2015. Fig and Olive declined to comment, but a Freedom of Information Act request to the D.C. Department of Health reveals new details about how the restaurant sourced and prepared the food. Um, and uh, they said uh, – 
there was a uh, yeah, it was all um, Fig and Olive brand centers around um, thirty olive oils, including truffle oil, carrying its name, sold at retail. Um, and the truffle oil supplier was a group called Veronica Foods, uh, but they've then since switched uh, their suppliers. But uh, the preparation of their food items were uh, were done at this uh, one commissary in New York. All right, so so we still don't know what happened at that right. commissary in New York, right? Like, so obviously there was some sort of cross contamination problem, I would assume, um, uh, based on this particular uh, thing happening, obviously. A lot of truffle oil distributed, only two restaurants linked uh, in this particular outbreak. Um, so, yeah, I don't, it's still, again, we got some answers, but also uh, still some questions. Huh, there you go. Here you go. Here's a little twist here. Um, fig and olive truffle oil aioli was made with raw or pasteurized eggs. No, no, never mind. Uh, they use Hellman's mayonnaise instead. Okay. <laughs> so there you go. Anyway. Um, yeah, so, uh, well, here's, okay, this, this is a good segue into something else that we have, um, in the, uh, in, in our Dropbox and, um, goes on to something that we talked a little bit about in our last, uh, outbreak, which is, um, why does CDC not release business names and share information about where it came from, right? Like we're now talking about fig and, fig and olive. Um, we're, we're a little bit in the know here because we're, we've been following this story and, you know, when it comes up, we look, look back and be like, Oh, that was fig and olive. Um, but if, if someone just reads this MMWR, you don't get the full story, right? Like, because it doesn't connect back to the business name. Right. And, and so we, um, uh, you know, in the last last podcast, uh, we talked about a paper that Doug and I had published in the Journal of Environmental Health about going public. And the week after uh, our our uh, paper was published, um, there was an article in the Washington Post um, uh, about um, the uh, nut butter, uh, soy nut butter outbreak by Caitlin Dewey, who talked about why FDA doesn't practice sharing outlets or retailers where recalled products are sold. So I, I guess, really, you know, analogous to this situation with, with fig and olive. Um, and they, they say, they say it would violate its, its interpretation of an obscure trade secret rule. Hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, Caitlin reports the interpretation differs from that of a lot of other agencies in the federal food safety system, uh, which is an op- overlapping and often a logical network of regulatory fiefdoms, which is maybe the best quote Love that. Uh, of the whole thing. Um, she goes on to say that the system, um, uh, in the case of releasing retailers during major outbreaks, FDA has historically sided with business, ruling that such lists constitute, quote, a confidential commercial information and thus should not be available for public consumption. Um, so so I wrote a little bit about it um, and, and sort of uh, talked about uh, our paper on it, not, you know, <laughs> At least FDA in this in this case has some sort of a plan, right? Like they they say here's how here's what we're going to release and here's how how we're going to release it and we're not going to release information about specific retailers on where these products have been distributed because of you know this this interpretation, um, you know, and our our paper sort of uh, we made the argument of uh, please have a plan, don't just do these things on a case by case basis, um, but 
I, you know, I, I, I wanted to, to bring up this concept of how consumers react to, um, to recalls and, and your colleague and my colleague, uh, Bill Hallman from Rutgers, um, yeah, in, in, you know, multiple times over the last, um, decade or so has, has done work on consumer surveys or using surveys uh, to interact with consumers about what they think and what they know about recalls and what their self-reported behaviors are. And so, I, you know, I just think he's got some interesting stuff on um, 38% uh, believe that the food they purchase specifically is less likely to be recalled than their neighbors and less than 60% report checking their refrigerators uh, and pantries for, for the specific food. And, and I sort of make the case that, you know, if, if the retail information was attached to this and it didn't just say soy nut butter, but it said soy nut butter that was sold at Harris Teeter as a, someone who might buy soy nut butter, at Harris Teeter, I would be maybe more inclined to go look for it. Um, and so, you know, it's just that, like, I don't know, shielding that information, I, I don't think has any public health benefit, um, and it only protects the industry. Yeah, actually, and it's funny that you should mention uh, Bill Hallman because um, I had uh, to go to campus today to uh, attend a Ph.D. defense, and actually it was a student of Bill's, and she uh, was presenting the title of her dissertation was Responsibilities, Recalls, and Reputations of Organizations, Theory-Based Experimental Studies to Improve Food Safety Crisis Communications. And so basically what she did was she made up <laughs> fake news stories. I get that's not, not as funny as it, uh, <laughs> as it used to be. Um, she made up fake news stories um, and then asked people what they thought about them. And, and it has to do with like uh, – so, you know, different like – Again, it's a whole big complicated thing on, uh, you know, theory, uh, not theory of planned behavior, but again, analogous uh, theories about how people think about stuff, uh, looking at different, different uh, fictitious outbreaks um, uh, and, and looking at like, you know, depending on what the company, um, whether the company was at fault or not, whether they knew they were at fault, whether they accepted responsibility, whether they were at fault or not. And so some, just some really interesting stuff uh, looking at, and again, also in this, in this, this uh, uh, contrived experiment. Experiment, this, 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 they had a timeline, like, like the initial uh, outbreak, the, uh, the confirmation about whether the company's involved, the identification of the cause, and then you know, company statements, and, and really just some fascinating stuff that hopefully will get published soon and will be available for people who do uh, crisis communication for companies. Because it turns out, actually, you, know, you, you might be surprised at this, Ben, turns out telling people um, what you know and, and taking action, even if you don't have all the facts, uh, uh, to do things that are protective of public health. Uh, turns out people like that. Wow. Amazing. People like to be uh, kept in the loop, as they say. Yes, exactly. So oh. uh, anyway, so good good, good job to FanFan, who, who passed her uh, PhD uh, defense today and, and did some great work, and we'll look for that to be published uh, hopefully um, hopefully soon. Well, that's, that's awesome. Um, well, and, and I appreciate the stuff that, that Bill does because I think it, it hel- it's all part of the story here on – um, on that, you know, what to share, how to share it, um, and, and, and how to update people on it, which is, you know, essentially what we were, um, trying to make the argument of is just, just have a plan. Just like it's, it, it you don't have to give everybody everything, uh, but let's have a playbook on, on what to follow because, uh, trying to figure it out when you're in a crisis situation is not, not probably that great of an idea. Um, but I mean, just bringing it back to to, to FDA 
and and CDC, um, I I think that if we looked into the communication literature and and the um and in the behavioral change work that's out there, um, making we know that making things personal and putting it into context for people um, can lead to greater. Uh, behavior change, uh, or better, greater chance of behavior change. And in this case, we, we really want people who have a recalled product to not eat it. But we first, the first action is we need them to actually go look for it. And, and if, and if we don't give them all the information that might trigger them to go look for it, I think we're, we're, we can't, we can't expect that consumers will do anything differently. Like, uh, I, I just, uh, it, it's, it, it's shocking to me when you hear someone in the food industry saying consumers just don't understand or consumers are stupid or if we could just get them to, to do things better. But we have all these chances to help them um, have that information and to change and to act on it. And, and we fall back on, well, it might, it might hurt someone's business. Well, and you know, and we had a really interesting discussion as part of um, uh, her 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 dissertation about like lawyers and about what, what company lawyers will and won't let you say. And actually, the outside member of her committee, thanks to you know brilliant brilliant Dr. Hallman, um, was a lawyer, a you know faculty a faculty member who's uh, who's got a background in environmental law and who do, who did practice uh, at one point in her career. And so we had a really good discussion. We had just a, it was a really good group of people. It was Bill. Uh, me, uh, Carol Beebe, who uh, you know uh, as well, Bird Brett Benner, um, and then uh, this this woman who's a, who's a lawyer uh, at the university, and just a you know just a really good discussion about about the the work. So um, cool for those of you that think that there's no more good ideas out there left to research. Uh, well, that's just not true. There's stuff. There's, there's stuff, stuff out there. Lots of stuff out there. Yeah. Um, okay, so I have a, I've got a question for you. Sure. And it's it goes on it goes on this. Okay. Um, this this whole recalled food. What do you do? How do you actually do it? Yep. And and remove it. And, well, maybe it's not a question, but I want to highlight something. So what pushed me to write about some of this stuff was that someone who we have as a shared acquaintance and friend on Facebook um, posted multiple times about um, a uh, an outbreak. Uh, no, not an outbreak. Uh, um, a recall of cheese from uh, Sargento. That was linked to uh, is recalled because of listeria concerns, and so this individual posted twice. But on the second one, which was uh, three weeks, two and a half weeks later, um, he uh, revealed to his Facebook faithful followers um, that uh, his first piece of information, which was go to your fridge and look for this stuff and throw it out, he didn't even follow himself. Because he, he quote, quote, I want to stress again that you should check any production codes immediately. And if you have any of these products, either throw them away or return them to your grocery store. I just checked my cheese stash and I had the pepper jack slices that are included. I, if we can't figure it out, Don, how are consumers going to do this? Like, like if we tell people, you know what, you should do this, but we don't actually do it. And I say we, not you and I, but we as the food safety nerd world. Um, how can we expect that, that consumers are actually going to do it? Like, 
it's so patronizing. Well, and 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 in fact, Bill Bill has done research. Bill Hallman has done research on people um, during the middle of the spinach uh, outbreak, and uh, they knew they had spinach. They thought it probably was the outbreak spinach, and they and they didn't they, they ate it anyway or something. I mean, so yeah, it's uh, it, and and those are people that that are just regular people. And now you're saying here's a food safety expert, um, right? Uh, who didn't do it? So yeah, you know. But what I really hope that they included in this uh, story about the outbreak. Um, was that you can also get listeria from raw milk cheeses because oh. that would only be fair, right? It would if- only be fair. It would only be fair because heaven forbid everybody gets listeria and or campylobacter and or E. coli from only raw milk items, um, right? Like it's, there's all these non-raw milk items that people that make people sick too. It's only fair to mention it. That's what I think. We just got to be fair, right? It's about it's about fairness. Should we tell people what we're talking about? Yeah, we should probably uh, clue them in that we're we're talking about an article uh, by David Gumpert. Was it an article from him? Um, it's a comment. I think it was a comment on another article. Oh, it's a comment on another. Yes, it was. Oh, yes, it was a comment on on something. I think from. American Council on Science and Health. Uh, yeah. So, so basically, uh, 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 David Gumpert, who's been a, a guest on this podcast, I don't think he's. Fan of the pod? Friend of the pod? The pod. Uh, Straight shooter? Yeah. Straight pod. shooter, friend of the pod. <laughs> so, brief digression before we talk more about raw milk. Um, ben, uh, because he's an evil person, has got me listening to another podcast. So, I'm now. Uh, a a listener to uh, Pod Save America. I am not a friend of the pod. I will never be a friend of any pod. Okay, I I like the podcast called Pod Save America, but it is a podcast. It is not a pod. Um, it's a very good uh, program on your internet, uh, and you should listen to it. Um, but it is not a pod. Do you, could I? I'm going to tell you something that, that's yes. hilarious about this. Um, okay, so now in Skype, I'm going to send you a screenshot a screenshot of what it says when around your face um, in my contact list because I think you're going to love it. Okay, and it, and it's something that that is just I think about the size of the screen. Um, so here it comes. It shows your face and it says either recording a pod dot dot dot. I forgot <laughs> to close Skype. Oh, I'm so angry now. I'm so uh, angry. But really, what it says uh, around uh, Don's uh, thing, if you expand the um, uh, the screen, it says either recording a fo- podcast or I forgot to close Skype. But I like that it says either recording, recording a, pod. a pod. Yeah, thanks. I forgot to close Skype. <laughs> Uh, okay, we we got derailed there. So yeah, um, th- there was this article about um, raw milk cheeses and uh, a- and how they uh, you know had made uh, I think it was what six uh, six illnesses, including uh, three deaths or something. Uh, Eleven illnesses, including three deaths. And uh, front of the pod, David Gumpert commented, "Why is the New York Times uh, reporting?" Um, you know about this, but not mentioning that non-raw milk cheeses can also make people sick. It's not fair, right? Yeah, so this is an article uh, called "Like Russian Roulette?" Uh, question mark Try raw milk. So I think that at this point they're probably just trying to troll him, uh, or at least he thinks probably they're trying to troll him. Um, uh, his comment, uh, he's the first one to comment because, of course, it mentions raw milk, so he's in there. Um, are you aware that listeria and bluebell pasteurized uh, milk? Uh, 
ice cream, pasteurized milk ice cream, as we call it. Um, Bluebell pasteurized milk ice cream killed three people and sickened ten. Um, and then the the moderator response: Are you aware that raw milk with a tiny, tiny fraction of the market share accounts for more than three thousand, three hundred percent more hospitalizations than any other food? <laughs> the CDC <laughs> is so lobby them or some raw milk nonsense blog. So anyway. Um, uh, on, a, on a science and health site, it is pointless to try to deceive people. Uh, and then somebody says, horse biscuits, the whole article is fake news. Um, oh, anyway. Oh, Deception. people, people, so people. Yep. Here you go. I'd advocate for uh, – don't read the comments. Never read the comments, Don. Unless you have to read the comments. I would advocate for a law that would ban hospitals from wasting their precious antibiotics on people who drank raw milk. <laughs> Uh, drink as much as you like, and we'll let Darwin decide the rest. So anyway, um, yeah, it's uh, or, comments, or man. Here we go. The ranch with cows and barn all winter, milked and poop all in the same spots, cannot avoid cross-contamination of air, skin, and their milk. The only cows that are free from this are open range. And then someone responds, have you ever kept cows or dairy animals of any kind? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, fantastic. Oh, the internet. It's the best thing and it's the worst thing. It, it really, it really, really, really is. Um, I almost sent you a screenshot of my favorite thing on the internet, uh, the Wake Forest Community Information Board, um, of uh, someone who said, uh, hey, um, just a heads up, my husband accidentally took my our, my wedding dress to Goodwill. It was in the back of my car uh, for cleaning, and he took all the uh, other clothes that were also in the back of my car to Goodwill. And um, we'd really appreciate it if you brought it back. So if you just bought a really cheap uh, wedding dress that looks like this at Goodwill, could you please <laughs> give it back to us? And my favorite part of the uh, the article was, because we're still paying on it. Oh, and no. And I was like, oh, that's the worst. Oh. But those are the types of things that I uh, like about the Internet sometimes times yeah oh that poor guy oh my oh, god that's yeah that's you know what he should do drink some raw, raw milk it's probably safer for him than than his than the situation he's now put himself in by uh taking a wedding dress to uh goodwill oh don 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 only we, in north carolina ben only in north true. carolina uh, Speaking of only in North Carolina, yes. uh, more breaking news. Uh, Danny uh, texted me last night while I was playing hockey, uh, and I will read to you uh, verbatim uh, from this text. Uh, it says, um, uh, where is it? Just overheard Sam ask Jack, what happens if you marry your sister? <laughs> <laughs> Cue uh, the banjo which, music. Oh gosh! And to which I read this out loud to the guys that I was uh, getting dressed with in my uh, hockey dressing room, and then that led to multiple comments and and jokes. One of which was me saying we may have lived in North Carolina too long. Uh, the second one was, did Sam follow that up with, can I have a sister? <laughs> Uh, so, so anyway, um, yeah, uh, there, there you go. Oh, kids are great. It's the dog. That's a pain in the ass. Um, so there's some other, there's some other stuff going on in the world of, uh, of food safety. Would you like to talk about it? Sure. Um, so I was, I, I was thinking about, uh, this, uh, Lysol kitchen, 
commercial. Yes. Have you seen this? Yeah, yeah. I put it. I put it in Dropbox. Um, this was actually a topic for conversation on the latest episode of uh, uh, the talk show, uh, the, uh, oh. the podcast that uh, John Gruber of Daring Fireball um, does. And uh, Merlin Mann was the guest. Uh, I guess because there was no news to talk about, because I guess Apple hadn't released its uh, latest uh, stuff that it released earlier in the week. And so uh, Merlin came on and talked with John about the American standard uh, toilet. <laughs> <laughs> well, excellent. Well, so uh, so Lysol's got some new commercials that I've seen. I've seen a couple of them, and one that involves uh, basically advertising that uh, Lysol will remove ninety nine percent of uh, bacteria and viruses in the uh, household environment, and includes like uh, kids playing with raw chicken and just uh, you know spraying their hands with Lysol. Oh, I'm, I'm, oh, over, oh, oh, I'm I, overstating it. No, no, I'm and I apologize because I'm conflating uh, Lysol with the American stand, standard. Uh, splatter commercial and uh, toilets. So um, I, I apologize. I put uh, I put uh, I, I think I put the the Lysol thing in there, and uh, I, I forgot that that was something different than the the toilet thing. So yeah. So so this is we will we will we will link to this. This is a, a commercial that is uh, on iSpot TV, and you should watch it. And this is this actually was uh, came across my uh, radar because somebody shared it with me on on Facebook, and it is. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a five uh, second rule upsetting, right? So the, the title is Lysol kitchen pro TV commercial five second rule. Um, I don't know, Ben, what, uh, what, what do you, what do you want to say about this? Uh, this, this is a, this annoyed me. Yeah. I, I mean, so I, I think we have another example of, uh, of overselling, um, efficacy in science and capitalizing on, uh, on uh, two log reduction versus five log reduction, and and people not really knowing to ask about w- what ninety nine percent is. Um, so this this spot, and actually shout out to listener of the podcast, Caitlin Casuli, yes, um, who who shared this on on Facebook. Um, uh, you know, essentially shows all of these uh, people. Kids, teenagers, adults eating food directly off of uh, countertops, which is which is totally fine to me, right? The issue to me is not eating food off a countertop. Food, like in fact, I would treat my countertops in my home uh, uh, like food contact surfaces. We do a lot of cleaning and sanitizing um, of of that uh, um, surface. I I don't choose to use um, quat based uh, sanitizer or, or Lysol. I use uh, chlorine based uh, stuff in my home after a clean step. So. Uh, not to get too nerdy about it, but that's really what Food Safety Talk uh, podcast is all about. Uh, if I'm preparing food, I will uh, wipe down my counters um, to get rid of the debris. I'll use soap, and it's usually just a normal dish soap. And then I spray um, uh, a uh, chlorine solution on top, and then I let it sit there for a while, and then I wipe it off. The This 30-second spot sort of uh, shows someone dropping chicken um, juice all over a countertop, um, and, uh, uh, and then that same countertop early on in the spot, uh, people are eating food off of, off of it. And uh, the, uh, the tagline is, what it takes to protect. Um, and uh, as part of it, it um, shows uh, someone just like spraying some Lysol, wiping it up right away um, with a uh, um, 
uh, paper towel and then kids putting a bunch of uh, raw cookie dough on top of it uh, right afterwards. And then eating the raw cookie dough. <laughs> well, right. So, 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 Caitlin, thanks. Thanks, Caitlin. Um, uh, my response on Facebook is, oh, God, where do I start? First of all, these are all scenarios where you get maximum transfer because of the moisture presence. So they're showing just like really wet, sloppy foods. Like, I, and I'll put my hand up. I'll say, you know, I have eaten food up off the floor. Like, I, I'm the guy that published the five-second rule paper together with my student, Robin Miranda. And I eat food off the floor. But I wouldn't eat any of these off the floor, right? They're all right. wet foods. It's maximal transfer. They talk about 99.9% like it's some great thing. Well, food microbiologists know that's about a three-log reduction. That's not enough logs, man. That's not enough it's log It's not enough reduction. logs. Um, uh, there is no way that I'm eating any food that touched that counter after it contacted raw chicken, even after cooking with Lysol. And then, yeah, and then Ruth Petran, also friend of the pod, um, uh, former resident of Freehold, New Jersey, uh, uh, co-author of the wonderful papers with uh, Craig Hedberg. Petran um, et al. Uh, yeah, exactly. And, and, yeah, uh, Craig and, and some other person whose name I never, I never remembered to mention, so apologies to that person if they listen. Um, at Ruth, Ruth chimes in, uh, kids eating raw cookie dough, eek! Uh, yeah, and then uh, I don't know. It's just, it's just, it's, it's really, it's really bad. Um, Brian Sauter's friend of the podcast says, "Is this fake food safety?" <laughs> oh, and the other thing too, I want to say, I have actually consulted for Lysol in the past because they used to be really concerned about making claims like this because in 1974 they lost a big lawsuit because of something like this and so huh. they 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 actually called me in i could i could go back it's back in probably back in the 1990s they did some work for them because they were absolutely terrified of making a mistake and and you know getting into and they were they were like under some sort of close scrutiny by the FTC because of what they had done. Um, and, and obviously they have not learned the lesson. I mean, this is just, uh, yeah. So the FTC in 1974 settled the complaint, which charged it Sterling drug, uh, and the advertiser misrepresented Lysol's effectiveness in preventing disease. So uh, I, wow. I don't know what they're doing here, but boy, it sure looks like they're misrepresenting something. Whoa, uh, I didn't know that. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, Lysol, apparently not a learning lesson since 1974. Wow. There you go. Petition contends there's evidence the predominant means of transmission is about cold and flu. Uh, right. Hands, yeah, interesting. Wow. Well, isn't that something? Isn't that something, Don? Um, and then we uh, tell kids to eat raw cookie dough when the FDA says don't do that. Yeah, don't don't recommend that. Don't recommend that. I, I, no. Don't don't do it. Don't uh, this. Here you go. This this. So I'm I'm coming back to my soapbox of uh, don't patronize and practice what you pe preach and all of the other uh, um, uh, cliches. But I, I've been in in places where where people um, say, you know, you shouldn't eat cookie dough, but I feed it to my kids all the time. Or you know, like it's it's food safety people that that do it and. I'm all for us making our own risk decisions, but telling people why you make that decision, I think is really important. And, um, but, but in the same breath of saying, Hey, I'm going to do this, but you shouldn't, that's a whole different like situation. Um, no, and I, and I and I never do that, right? Like, and I just said right. a few, I just said a few minutes ago, I eat food off the floor. I don't eat watermelon off the floor, right? Yeah, I don't. I wouldn't eat anything that I, I tell my little. No, I'm not. I mean, I you know, I w when. And I, my wife does most of the cooking, and, and when she's like preparing raw meat in the kitchen, 
I pay attention to where she's preparing it. I, I, and she's, you know, she, she's just as compulsive or, you know, concerned with food safety as I am. And she does a really good job of cleaning up. Um, and there's no way I would eat anything that fell on that counter even after she'd cleaned it. Right. Cause I'm just going to give it some time to let, to let whatever bacteria are right. there just naturally fade away. But you know, if a, if a peanut falls on the floor or a chocolate chip or, or a, a piece of cereal that's dry falls onto the floor and it doesn't fall into a- actual dog poop or into anything um you know that is that is obviously contaminated i will eat that yes of course i mean i'm I'm not an animal i mean maybe i maybe i guess i am an animal but 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 i'm not going to tell somebody else what to do i'm gonna say and i did this repeatedly through the five second rule interviews um you know you guys you 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 the listener the reader of this article um need to make your own decision but let me tell you here are the things i would think about how clean is the surface? How wet is the food? Um, uh, what's your immune status? I mean, I had a nice, nice discussion with uh, a newspaper reporter. This the story got some more life again, and we can talk maybe about my my buddy from Aston University who is, still hasn't published anything, who but is talking about five second rule again. Um, but um, <laughs> uh, um, uh, so the story's kind of come back in the media, and I did another interview, and I and I said, you know, what's your immune status? Right, that's a big. That's it has a lot to do with it. If you are immunocompromised, no, you shouldn't be eating food off the floor. You should be paying very close attention to what you're eating. So, anyway, ugh, people. Oh, it's, am I right? It's true. Yeah, people. People are crazy. Um, and yeah, that and you know, I think you did. You know, um, not uh, not just because you're my podcast partner, but I think you did a really good job in that coverage, not telling people what to do. Right? Like, like this isn't about our. Our job is not about to tell people what to do, and so when I, when I see things like "Don't do this," but I'm going to do it, um, or "Don't do this," but here's how I hand I would handle it because I know and you don't know, or whatever, yeah, whatever, well, whatever. Well, and, I, and I and I like to talk about like what I do, right? Because I think that personalizes yeah. it, and I and I talk about like, okay, this is this is how I wash lettuce in my house, or this uh, when I'm eating a bagged salad and there's a nasty looking piece, I'll pick it out, and I do, and I talk about, okay, so what's the science behind that? Well, we know that if it's cut or bruised and there are pathogens there they can grow i I also know that my refrigerator is really cold so 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 there's no there's very little chance of growth Uh, maybe there's some listeria growth but again uh you know it's i think it is personal it is important to talk about what we do um but you have to put it in the context of the science and explain why you do that but but to say well i do this but you shouldn't that's just that's just doesn't help anybody man it just confuses people right yeah if for sure if yeah uh, um, hey, speaking of which, would you, would you make something called a, uh, yeast, yeast waffle? <laughs> you know, this is interesting. It's a fun um, one, right? Yeah. So, so, uh, I, I don't particularly like waffles and I don't particularly like yeast. So my answer would be no, I would, I would not eat a yeast waffle. Um, but on the other hand, um, I'm very interested in this. And, and in fact, um, kind of related, uh, we, I, I mentioned actually earlier on this podcast that we have a testing program where we go out to Rutgers university dining halls and we test, 
um, the uh, the foods, and one of the foods that we spent some time testing uh, was waffle batter. And so what the oh. dining, what the dining halls will do is they will prepare. Uh, waffle batter. They'll put it into like a, a, a jug and the students will come into the dining hall and they will pour the waffle batter onto a waffle plate and they will make their own waffles from the waffle batter. And sometimes when we went into the dining halls, the waffle batter was refrigerated and sometimes it wasn't. And sometimes we would find high counts and sometimes we wouldn't. And so we actually did a little bit of research showing, well, okay, if you take this waffle batter and you leave it at room temperature, how long do you have to leave it um, before the bacterial concentration rises to a certain level? And it turns out you can actually probably leave it at room temperature well beyond four hours uh, allowed in the food code, probably um, as much as uh, uh, 12 hours or even longer, at, le- at least look at, if you look at the change in total plate count. Now, we didn't do any uh, challenge studies with actual pathogens, but, but my, so my, my reaction or my, my opinion is that, that this environment is probably not terribly conducive to pathogen growth. But, but again, I have to say I have not done any research on this. Um, uh, and I'd apparently neither have the people at allrecipes.com who have published this yeast waffles recipe um, which basically says uh, that you should uh, take some milk and the, uh, dissolve the yeast and you get it, let it, you know, get, get creamy. You combine milk, the yeast mixture, butter, salt, flour, sugar, mix it thoroughly, and then let it stand at room temperature overnight, which obviously uh, as soon as you say that sets off some sort of alarm bells for, for food safety people. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so this, uh, this recipe came to us. Uh, from uh, uh, science, freelance uh, science writer um, Beth Square Ricky Square Recky, um, Beth Beth uh, someone I follow on Twitter and she's interviewed me before um, for uh, a couple of different places um, I think and so she uh, said um, you know hey what do you think about this. Uh, um, this recipe. And so I thought about a couple of things and, and texted you and, uh, and Michelle and, and Linda about it. Uh, but you know, here's the recipe is, uh, make some, some, uh, waffle batter, which is, um, milk and yeast and, um, some sugar and some butter and some salt and some flour. Uh, not enough of any of those things to, I think make this a low moisture food or nope. uh, a high acid food. Nope. Um, so, you know, nothing, it's basically a food that, that we, you know, would fit the parameters of what could support the growth of, of a foodborne pathogen. Yep. And yeah, leave it over, over, uh, you know, uh, room temperature overnight. And, and so, so the, the thing that came to my mind when she asked about it uh, was, was staph aureus and, mm-hmm. and, 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 um, and you you highlighted that um, you know we we also think about uh, the flour uh, and um, and really I mean many of the ingredients flour being um, you know one where we would expect to see um, you know some percentage of flour is going to have a pathogen we we've, we've yep. just gone through a, a pretty decent sized uh, uh, outbreak last year with uh, E. coli O two six I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we see you know, salmonella in low moisture foods, listeria in low moisture foods, you know, so, so it might be something there. Um, I thought about staph aureus because I
because I was concerned about a heat stable toxin being formed in those 12 hours. Um, because you know, the waffle, you know, you put this in a waffle iron and, and it should, uh, raise the temperature, uh, of that waffle above say 150 or 60 or maybe even 190 degrees. Uh, but I don't know that for sure. Uh, and so I, you know, I, I kind of, she asked me like, what do you think? And I, shot this to you guys and i was like you know i don't i i guess i don't know um doesn't seem like a great idea but it might be okay and i don't think there's a lot of data and your response was sounds like a great uh student uh uh project and i still i still I, like. I still think that and and in fact apropos our earlier conversation what about bacillus series also makes a stable toxin spores l- likely to be oh. present in flour right uh yeah yep. i mean this could very definitely um cause uh cause illness um Probably it probably I mean there's a lot of people uh, who who uh, like this. 132 people made it. 103 gave reviews. It's got four and a half stars. I don't see any of them reporting foodborne illness. No. So um, you know I and I don't see actually even the most helpful critical um, uh, review uh, does not mention anything about food safety. And again, you probably don't go to allrecipes.com for, for food safety advice, but, uh, but yeah, so uh, not really, uh, not really, we just really don't know. Uh, again, the yeast are going to probably help, right. In terms of comp- competition, but you know, one of the things that we know from work that we've done and other people have done looking at uh, lactic acid bacteria and listeria, which is probably the most common uh, competition scenario, is you've got to get a lot of lactic acid bacteria there um, before you control listeria. If you, if you have a higher dose of listeria than lactic acid bacteria, you're going to have a problem. So probably you got a lot of yeast there as long as you're using yeast that's actually active and, and growing. Um and, and so you're probably going to have more yeast than bacillus. But again, I don't know if anybody's ever really studied the the interaction between yeast as a way to control bacillus or staphylococcus or, for that matter, salmonella and E. coli. So, yeah, this is a great this is a great project for a student. We should do this. We should answer this question. Yeah. You, <laughs> people come to me all the time thinking that we just have students like sort of sitting there. Uh, like I always, my mental image is that we've just got students sort of sitting there, you know, yeah, twiddling their thumbs with their feet up on their desk saying, oh, I wish I had a project. I just can't think of a good project. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's well, not the case. In case, in case any of you yeah. wonder how it works at a university, it's not like that. No. But this is a fun one that we could we, – we, we've done – you know, both both of our groups have done like these one-off like fun pop culture type projects. We, we did one that uh, – um, that Natalie Seymour uh, presented at IFP last year about cooking um, or baking cookies on dashboards and <laughs> right. arms. Um, we uh, we went down this road and we never actually completed the project. And actually, I have to get back with um, Carol BB on on this. But uh, cooking foods in dishwashers uh-huh. was something that that we uh, explored a little bit. We uh, I've got a student who just had an abstract accepted at IFP this year about microwaving mug cakes. Which if you don't know what a oh, mug yeah. Yeah. You know, check it out on the Pinterest um, and just the safety of that because it's, uh, you know, it's basically you're baking a cake in a microwave in a mug. And, and we know that microwaves have, um, you know, uneven heat. So she she did some work on on that. But this is another one where it's like, OK, let's look. Let's actually look at this. Um, and, uh, and so you also mentioned something about cookbooks. 
Um, and we just, uh, hey, just had a paper published and about evaluating food safety risk messages in cookbooks. Oh, I thought you were going to say you just had a cookbook published. <laughs> no, I wish. We should, I should, we should write a cookbook. But did you know? You know, Carol Beebe's already wrote a really good cookbook. So she uh, did. She did. We, so, um, funny story about cookbooks. Uh, they don't, uh, tell you a lot about food safety. <laughs> and, huh. uh, you know, and, I, I, uh, I would have guessed that actually. Yeah. So, uh, um, we'll link to this. This is an early site, but it is uh, accepted. Uh, it's on. Uh, it's yeah. it is published early on the British Food Journal. Yeah. Evaluating it's called, food safety risk messages in popular cookbooks. Ben, I'm way it. ahead of you in the British Food Journal. There it is. Boom. Uh, Katrina Levine, uh, extension associate who works for me, works with me. Um, uh, went and looked at 1,700 recipes in uh, New York Times bestseller books uh, from 2013 to 2014, and she, found. Does she, does she not sleep? She did not sleep. She this this project I think almost killed her. Oh, this is uh, this is a, that's a lot of recipes, Ben. It's a ton of recipes. Um, we, 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 we were really only, so the waffle stuff wouldn't come up cause we were really only interested in raw animal product right. containing recipes. We wanted to start there Yep. and things that we, we excluded stuff like, um, ground beef tacos because we were like, you know what? Um, that's a type of a product where absolutely temperature matters and absolutely it's almost impossible to measure the temperature of crumbled beef ground ground beef right like in a in a skillet it's very difficult right so we went with the easy ones that are easy to measure um and uh and contain raw raw animal ingredients and out of the um 1500 or so of those recipes she looked at uh 8.2% 123 of them um included a an endpoint temperature and I think a better part is that 30% or sorry, almost 30% of those that had an endpoint temperature gave the incorrect endpoint temperature. <laughs> oh, ouch. Yeah. Not bad. eh? So, I mean, what do you do with this? Um, I, you know, I think we'll harass people who write cookbooks and say, it's really important that you put the stuff in here. Cause people do go to cookbooks to get instructions on how to cook. I mean, literally that is what they're there for. Yes. Right? Yes. <laughs> Um, and, uh, I pulled, as I wrote a barf blog post about this, um, uh, and pulled this from, um, the New York times, uh, as much as people want to say that print is dead, it's not, uh, um, there are multiple, uh, uh, books that were in the top 10 sellers of all, uh, sorry, number, the number eight spot. Um, in all of Amazon's hard copy books was a cookbook uh, at the end of 2016. It was Ina Garten's latest cookbook, Cooking for Jeffrey, a Barefoot Contessa cookbook. Um, and there's you know multiple books published every year. It's still strong sales. People actually do buy these things and go to them. I'm one of them. We buy cookbooks every every Christmas for each other, Danny and I do. Well, and and I know you're you're a big uh, fan of the barefoot Contessa because you like to be you like to have uh, bare feet because uh, I do. Michelle Michelle was uh, at a farm and she saw you there and you had bare feet, <laughs> right? Is did I get that right? You're right. You're right. Um, totally uh, independently. I do. I'm currently in bare feet right now. Oh. Uh, I do like to have bare feet, not so much when I'm on farms, but I do like the barefoot Contessa and Jeffrey. And Jeffrey. who doesn't like Jeffrey? Oh. I have to say, I, 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 do, I really do. I mean, the, a lot of t television personalities are really annoying, but I, I, I find Ina Garten just, just 
very very sweet and very delightful and and i you know I, she's yeah just i and i don't know how she is in terms of food safety advice but but she seems like she'd be like, like i would like to go to her house and 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 have dinner with her and jeffrey i i really would she seems like she'd be a lot of fun to hang out with yeah yeah, yeah. I, I agree i dinner that maybe that's her next book dinner, <laughs> dinner with don and ben dinner with don and, and ben and jeffrey and jeffrey and jeffrey we, yeah we'd love to have jeffrey there too <laughs> Um, anyway, yeah, cookbooks, uh, recipes online that, you know, that's the next phase I think for us is to look at all recipes and Epicurious and, and just see if there's any difference, uh, like online versus, versus, uh, paper. Yeah. Good idea. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, but the, I, I think the hard part, right? Like, so this is one of those examples of, um, the, the, the research tells us that there's a problem, right? Like there's a, there's some inadequate information out there. How do we how do we solve this is a much larger issue, um, and, and and you know Carol uh, Carol BB's done a done a fantastic job with uh, food safety and cookbooks, uh, you know, in, in in instructions as it relates to um, to the stuff that she's produced. But how do we get to book publishers and and, and cookbook writers to say uh, this kind of stuff's important? And I actually think this is easier or maybe an easier sell than going to um, TV chefs because uh, we've talked about that in the past. And there's a, there was another paper uh, published on sort of inadequate uh, food safety control measures in, in um, uh, TV chefs. Um, and, and so – but but I think – I don't know. The, the next challenge is – getting to the to the groups that actually make the decisions on this and getting almost like a checklist uh for a book publisher who's going to make a cookbook that says do you have things that might make people sick in it uh, check okay do, are there temperatures associated with it that might reduce their likelihood of getting sick oh there are okay great can you please include them check you know some something like like that uh is is where we try to go and that that becomes a larger extension uh piece going forward yeah, and I think maybe maybe the answer – one thing that occurred to me is that maybe the answer is social media and, and finding cookbook authors that are on social media and then engaging with them. I mean I've had uh, – I had a really cool uh, interaction on social media earlier this week, unrelated – actually related to books but unrelated to cookbooks. And that is um, – this is part of my wanting to like read books again instead of looking at Twitter or, or whatever um, – is uh, somebody I follow, uh, William Gibson, the science fiction author on on Twitter, and he was tweeting about his new book, or he was somebody was was retweeting something and talking about something something. Anyway, um, I said, so uh, what what would you recommend from his latest stuff? Because I've I've read some of his earlier stuff, Neuromancer, uh, Burning Chrome, stuff like that, and I was like, what what should I read? And he he actually and I at at replied to including him and he responded to say, oh, I suggest you read my new book. So, uh, right. I mean, I, th- I think that that, you know, social media is a kind of an equalizer. And if you find the right person to, to interact with that you can engage with, um, maybe that's a way to go. I, I don't, I don't know. Um, it's a great idea. Yeah. Um, oh, and speaking of, and I have to mention this cause I, uh, you mentioned checklists. I have to recommend again, and I think I recommended it before on the podcast, but I really, really just, and I, probably should reread this book. Uh, that is uh, The Checklist Manifesto but by Atul Gawande. And uh, yes. it is a great book uh, on how basically uh, – and he's a, he's a doctor. He's a surgeon uh, and uh, – but now basically a writer. Uh, but, but he talks about airline safety and surgical safety um, and how checklists, something as simple as a checklist, can really uh, do – 
do great good. And so I, I, I love your idea of a checklist. Um, the trick is how do we reach the people that need to find out about it? I mean, because if you, if you screw up a surgery or you crash an airplane, people know about it. If you publish a bad recipe in a cookbook, who's ever going to know, right? Right, right. Um, so there's not, there's not an incentive there to find, uh, to, to find and weed out problems. But, but boy, yeah, well, that's a great idea. Well, it's um... – the the idea of checklists uh, is something that that it, when I go back to my my experience in my master's work, we created this massive wall checklist for um, uh, greenhouse vegetable growers and the people that were running their packing facilities to be like, here are your pre-operation things to think about, or here are the things like like actually like not just having an SOP, but having something that they had to go through every day to remind them of what's the pH or what's the chlorine concentration in your dump tank right now. Have you have you actually checked it? Um, and you know, I, there I, you know I think there's good and, and bad about about the approach. An, another piece, one of my former um, students, Katie Overby, um, she put together as part of her thesis um, a a checklist uh, for media sources reporting on norovirus outbreaks because there's so much um, incorrect or misinformation about management or about a transfer in many of the media stories that she looked at as part of her um, her work. So, she, you know, she essentially got a guide on a checklist on um, here are the things that you should think about as you are reporting on this type of a pathogen. And in the like this, it's it's a similar situation. And you highlighted the challenges. Making the checklist is uh, is great. And it's not I mean, it's not super easy because you have to distill it down to uh, you know priority things for people to look at the the greater challenge though is getting in front of the people that have that are that are making decisions um, and so yeah I'm, I'm, we're gonna spend some time on both the norovirus checklist and and this this cookbook stuff on how do we get into get it into the right hands and what should people be looking looking for and there is I do want to note that I think it's USDA has a um, recipe. Um, uh, food safety generator. Have you seen this? Like, no. if you put a recipe, where is this? Someone has this thing where, um, if you put your recipe into their website, it will tell you like what temperature you should cook it to. Wow. Right, like so. So it takes a step. I, I don't know. I'm gonna have to find this later okay. on. Yeah. Um. So, but but there's something out there that that I I've seen presented somewhere and it may not be USDA. It might be somewhere else. Um, but, but it, it's like, but it doesn't do maybe here it is. Yeah. Foodsafety.gov recipes just got safer with our new online tool. Um, so you can, uh, upload a recipe and it'll add some, some information and page not found. So there you go. I guess the tools is now old. Oh, oh well, too bad. <laughs> too bad. Well, we'll find it. Uh, and we can uh, link to the 404 uh, page. <laughs> yeah, link 404 link. 404 link. Uh, yeah. So anyway, cookbooks and stuff. Um, I got, I got, got nothing else for you. What do you got? I, uh, I, I think that's a show. I think that's a show. I really think that's a show. Um, so let's uh, let's call it a day on uh, the food, the food safety talk, just like the Ohio State University. Uh, um, this is uh, food safety talk episode one twenty two. 
Boom. And boom, boom, boom. <laughs> and we'll link to all the booms uh, from oh, can uh, we, can our, we, our friend. Can we, can we link to the Steve Jobs booms? Oh, of course. Okay. You know, I have a friend who works for Lenovo. You know what Lenovo makes? Laptops? Yeah, but not the right. Like they make, no, yeah, they not make Windows, Apple. Windows laptops, yeah. Yeah, and he uh, he he'll text me things, and I always send say him boom. Back. Yeah, boom, and then I send him the, the YouTube link of the Steve Jobs boom, and he's like, "Why are you doing this to me? Like this is really <laughs> this this." And then I I constantly he'll he'll come. He, I play hockey with him, and he'll he'll come back some, from somewhere with like swag from a trade show, and I was like, "Oh, were they giving out any like Apple stuff?" <laughs> yeah. And it's a, it's a running joke. Oh, good stuff. Good stuff. Um, cool. All right. Well, there you go. Episode 122. Thanks to all the the listeners, uh, friends and for to friends of the pod uh, for coming on, mm-hmm. which was just you and me. We're the only friends of the pod. I am not a friend of any pods. Your friends are you a friend like in in the sense of uh uh Donna Michi and Wilford Brimley, are friends of the cocoon pods? Sure, I can be a friend of a cocoon pod. I'm, I consider myself uh, Steve Gutenberg. I'm a friend of Steve Gutenberg's. Uh, who is into the printing press? I am. I am. He was great in uh, Three Men and a Baby. Maybe his greatest work. One of the one of the best uh, movies of all time. Uh, all right. Uh, we'll uh, we'll talk in a couple weeks, Don. Thanks right. a lot. Yeah. You're, you're welcome. <laughs> bye bye. Bye. All right. And we're out. Boom. Boom. Oh, it was good. So my neighbor was cutting his grass. There were dogs outside. It's like we recorded this in a park. (laughs) (laughs) Well, for what it's worth, I didn't hear any of that. I did hear my dogs barking from time to time. time, But I I didn't hear any any, uh, disruptive audio on your end. Okay, good. I did not hear your dogs at all. Cool. So we're, uh, we're good. Uh, okay, so this one is all you. Yes. Perfect. Um, when shall we do this again? That is a good question. Today is the 23rd. Two weeks from today. That's me talking without moving my, oh. my mouth. Oh. Right, well, we'll see what's up two weeks from today. Eh? 
Uh, April 6th. Yeah, I will be in California. We've dealt with this already. Trying to schedule things with you is difficult. It's not that <laughs> difficult. So you'll be in Cal- when do you When do you return from California? When do you leave for California? Uh, I Oh, my God. you got so many questions. Um, I, I leave for it's California. Two, it's two questions that have numbers <laughs> as answers. <laughs> Five and 14. Yeah. Oh, whoa. That's a long time in the – It is. In, to me in Cali. Well, yeah. So it's actually two different events. Um, and I very cleverly uh, decided to combine them, and actually we're going to go. Kristen has been for many years been wanting to go to uh, the Monterey uh, Aquarium, and so we're gonna, awesome. we're, we're going to go to. It's a bit of a drive because we're down in L.A. for the meetings that I got to go to, but but we're going to take the weekend and long weekend and go up and and go up to Monterey. So that sounds awesome. Yeah, we're, we're looking forward to it. What uh, where are you in like? In L.A., L.A., or are you in Anaheim for these meetings? Uh, different places. Irvine is one, and I forget what the other one is, but they're basically greater L.A. I want to go. I, that, I love L.A. I was just telling someone last night about that. <laughs> you and uh, what's his name? Uh, the singer. Uh, um, short people. I, Neil Young? No. Neil. Uh, uh, short people. Randy Newman. Randy New. Oh, right, right. Yeah. He loves L.A. too. We'll he does love L.A. Yeah. The toys. Toys. Uh Soundtrack, Toy Story, not toys. He rang, he sang all the uh, songs for Toy Story. Um, okay, so five to fourteen. So, question: Do you want to do uh, April third, or do you want to do April seventeenth? Uh, I could do April third. I think the fans would like it if we if we did more yeah. rather than less. So, I think so too. April third is is great. I have a flight at. Uh, five ten. I have a uh, meeting that is movable if we need to at two p.m. Okay, what time? Do you um, want? I'm, I'm wide open. What time do you want to do it? Well, let's try. Let's go with eleven. If we went like eleven till two, that would be awesome. Okay. Or eleven till like that that window. Yep. Okay. FST one two three. <laughs> it's on. Uh, eleven eleven a.m. Cool. Awesome. Coolio, Coolio and the gang. That's how that's I'm going to answer him now. Now that I know it links you to Coolio albums. And now I'm really curious, like, what, what links and what doesn't, right? Uh, uh, I'm, like, scrolling back through old texts to see if there are other words, and I haven't seen anything. Uh, I don't know. Um, did your, is your AirPod, is it still working? After you dropped it in Sriracha? Oh, yeah. Totally. It works totally fine. Totally fine. Did, I, uh, it is – oh, I'm not getting a 404. Um, oh, wait. Oh, but maybe the, the oh. tool gives you the 404. Uh, yeah, the tool gives the 404. Oh, yeah. Page not found. Yeah. Yeah, we'll link to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks. Thanks, foodsafety.gov. Um, but, yeah, I mean that seems complicated. Um, uh, so I can understand why it – Maybe it doesn't work. Um, right, right. Well, but, it does. It's like, yeah. But yeah, no. My, my the only thing I've noticed with AirPods is, and and I and so they're great for podcast listening. Um, but I have noticed that they sometimes will fail on a phone call, and yep. they fail in a way that is quite disturbing. In that they don't work, and you and and the phone know. the phone audio doesn't seem to work, and you can switch the phone to speakerphone, and that helps. But then. And then you take them out of your ears, and then they think that they're not supposed to work. I don't know. It's it, there's something not right, and and that is very like 
problematic. Yeah, I, I have that as well. And it doesn't give you an alert. Like every once in a while, it'll make this like, like it's, oh, it's cut out. Yeah. Never heard that. But it's not, it's usually not then it's when I, if you physically turn off Bluetooth mm-hmm. while they're in, or okay. if you physically disconnect from them, not physically, virtually, whatever yeah, I know what you mean. You like switch, you switch the thing. Yeah. Um, uh, and then it makes this noise, but when it drops, it doesn't make any noise. So you don't even know. Sometimes I'll be just talking yeah. and then it's picking up my audio. Like it's near my head and people are like, I can't hear you. I can't hear you. And then no one answers. And then I'm like, Oh, Oh, I'm sorry. And I pick, actually picked the phone up. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. I don't know. It's not, it, and it, it's not predictable because it's definitely not when I've never even had the batteries below like 60%, I think. Oh, like I, all right. Cause I was thinking, it seems to be not related to the batteries in the AirPods. It seems to be – I've noticed it when the battery in the case is low. Oh, that could be. So that I'm, I'm not usually tracking that. Yeah. Uh, so, that, I, uh, Which is weird because the case shouldn't be part of anything, right? It right, should, right. Yeah. The, ca- the case uh, – my case right now is at 78. My pods are at 100. Um yeah, the case shouldn't be a factor at all. I have – so my my only little weird thing is if my phone is upside down in my right pocket while I'm walking and I'm listening to music, it'll uh, like blip every 20 minutes. <laughs> Very specific though. Huh. So yeah. if I turn my phone right side up, it's fine. Weird. If I put it in my left pocket, it's fine. Weird. It's only when I'm it, when, if I was listening to a podcast, no problem. It's only when I'm listening to music on on Apple Music. Huh? Yeah, and I, I had one problem on a phone call early on with my mom, and transferring the phone from my back pocket to my front fo- pocket. <laughs> Oops, I almost cursed. Oh. Back oh. pocket to front pocket seemed to fix it. Um, yeah. With I mean, and they, obviously the Bluetooth, you know, it's it's your blob of water, right? You're, you're you know, it, it's, it does take some work to get to go through your body. So put, putting it where it doesn't have to go through your body to connect with the headphones might make a difference. But, yeah. <sighs> so complicated. Why can't – but they are awesome. When oh, they're, they're, the, they're really good. Yeah. Really, they sound, really they're like so them. light. They sound like – it's like there's just music in your head. <laughs> it's coming from the air. Yeah. I, 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 I really do like them. Yeah. We'll link, we'll link to uh, AirPods because uh, Apple. Yeah, we'll link to AirPods because Apple. Uh, I'm not going to get a red iPhone. Are you going to get a red iPhone? I have a phone. I don't. I don't need a, a red, red iPhone. I don't. What? Why would I get a red phone? I don't know. People are getting a red phone. No, it's not for me. Or maybe I'll get a new red one, like when it's like when I need a new one. Hmm. What I so I have not followed and I've not and none of my regular podcasts have covered this. Um, like what? Why would I? Why would what? What? What did? Well, well anyway, we, we don't need to turn this into a show about Apple, but I'm just yeah. There's enough of those. Yeah, I'm just <laughs> I'm just curious, like what what Apple released? But I guess I'll find out when I listen to my Apple podcasts. Yeah, they released a new iPad too. Yeah, but oh, yeah, yeah, whatever. I'm not. I'm not interested. I'm good. I got enough iPads. Michelle, Michelle dropped her iPad in the sink. She texted me this morning. Uh, she get a new one, or she got dropped her current her she, second. She, she dropped her ancient one with a thirty pin connector in the sink. But she has oh. a backup one. Uh, but this, it's a long story, and anyway, it's not. It's uh, anyway. I'll, she can. 
anyway, she she can tell you about it, but I, I don't, I don't, I don't, it's like she didn't like, anyway, this was a text from her to me and I don't want to, you know. Oh yeah. Don't, I've, don't I've, I've shared too much already, Ben, by re- reporting that she dropped her iPad in the sink. Yeah. I need, you know what I need, Don, if you can, I'm going to put you on this. I, I got, I'm ready, Ben. I'm ready. I got, I got people. I, sometimes in, I just put, put them in. on the. So, so you know, I, um, you know, I like to take my iPad into the bath, right? <laughs> yeah, I think we've talked about this. Talked not about not this. a good idea. Just ask. No, it's fine. I because I do it with a Ziploc bag. I don't, I don't put it. I put it in a Ziploc bag. Except the Ziploc bags that I currently use in my home don't aren't great with the Retina screen. Like oh. there's a bunch of lines and they're crinkly and it's hard to read. Um, so I have to like, I have this whole process where I have to squeeze all the air out and make sure that the iPad is in one corner and I'm pulling the, it's, there's a lot of work to it is what I'm saying right now. So I need you, I need you to find me like a waterproof sleeve for an iPad. That's not, I don't, but I don't want to get like a, like a dumb case one. I want something that's like, like a comic book sleeve. But it's for iPads. I'll I'll keep an eye out for that. But my my advice to help you solve this problem is stop using your iPad in in the bath. That's my no. my solution. Wrong wrong answer. Okay, that's Whatever. not going to happen. Okay. Um, and I don't want to. I don't want a stupid OtterBox. Don't make that. If you give me an OtterBox, I'm gonna we're gonna quit this podcast. <laughs> as an option, I'm I'm I, I've just turned into Merlin Manor here. Um. I, uh, I want a sleeve. I want something that like a, like a comic book thing. And I want to, I want to be able to read my book on my iPad in, in the bath. I also want to be doing Twitter. Sometimes I want to be on Facebook. I might even watch something on, on sling, sling TV in there. But, um, you're currently your options are putting you on uh, a tenuous list. My friend. Oh my, <laughs> that's oh a, my. consider consider that a warning. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Ah, uh, that's that's as fired up as I get. Yeah, uh, I, I, you know, maybe you need to like I John uh, John Roderick uh, uh, tweeted out a link of his bath setup, um, and I think he's <laughs> using a a book um, uh, as his input device, and and he had some food, and he had a wonderful shelf, like a wooden shelf. I wouldn't mind one of those. So we maybe, a- maybe you could just be very careful and have a wooden shelf. Uh, I'm, I'm, I just Google image searched John Roderick bath setup. (laughs) I want you to know that it does not, uh, doesn't contain what I'm, what I'm expecting to see. And, and it's, I don't see a shelf. Um, but I'm, I'm interested in that. I, I'm not, I wouldn't mind a shelf. Um, but I really, I just want, I look, I'm a simple man. I just want to take, take my iPad into the bath with me and have, and it, heaven forbid, I fall asleep and the iPad slips out of my hands. It drops in the water. It doesn't kill me. That's what I want. That's all I'm trying to avoid here. Oh, I don't think it would kill you. I think it would I know, but I also I, I also don't like shocks. I don't even want a shock. Okay. I'm, I it probably wouldn't shock you. Well, and I I don't want to break my iPad. That's the other. Well, yes, that's that's a good. Idea. Well, they're going to be waterproof soon. Yeah, they're going to be, and then I'll have one, and it'll be awesome. Um. Oh, did you see – sorry to follow up on this rice stuff. Did you see the second question about um, uh, drying uh, you know, iPhones in rice and whether you should eat the rice? And then oh. I, sent, I sent Claire a link to Food Safety Talk. Oh. I think it was like 98 where nice. we talked about this. Nice. Yeah. So 
anyway, she didn't, that didn't make the, uh, the article. Ah, oh, bummer. Yeah. Uh, well, there's anyway. lots of stuff, uh, on Google for waterproof iPad case, Ben. No, it's not a case. Uh, <laughs> I, you're not hearing me correctly. Is it, is this on? <laughs> no, it's not on. It's not on. I want, I want a sleeve. Sleeve, waterproof iPad sleeve. Okay, got it. That, that is, that, that I, like, I want to buy a pack of 100. And I want to throw it out <laughs> after every time I use it. Or once it starts getting too crinkly, I want, um, I want to be able to, like, maybe take it, uh, maybe take it on vacation with me if I happen to be in someone's hot tub and I want to be on my iPad. Um, <laughs> it's possible. I don't want to. I, I, this is what. I, this is the opposite of what I want. Or maybe the opposite's not the right word, but I don't want this. Okay. Uh, well, I. This, I, uh, this. I, I. I don't know what to tell you, Ben. I think you're just. You're just destined to disappoint. To disappointment. This, this thing that I just sent you. You has, don't. You don't want the overboard waterproof iPad case black. No. No. This thing's got a. It's got a goddamn, like, uh, a harness with it here. It's got. It's. Guaranteed submersible to 19 feet. It's contra- it's 100% waterproof. I don't want this. You want it's like 99% to... waterproof. I want 99% waterproof. I want no weight. I want. I basically want to spray. You something. basically want what you have, which is a Ziploc bag. There, <laughs> boom. Bag? Problem solved. <laughs> I want a Ziploc bag that doesn't have Ziploc written on the front of it. That I have, and and that that What's actually fits my my iPad. That's it. That's exactly what I want. <sighs> Damn it! Why can't people make this for me? <sighs> All right, I'm gonna go. I, you know, I might I might go have a bath. I have 30 minutes right now. <laughs> in between my, I have a meeting at four o'clock that I'm doing on Zoom. I've got, uh, yeah, I got 30 minutes. I'm gonna go have a bath, read something on my iPad. All right. Well, I'm I'm gonna go uh, put on my shoes and go to my PT appointment. When you can put on your shoes, don't go barefoot. <laughs> I Heaven won't. Heaven forbid we're both barefoot. Uh, <laughs> this might be the most entertaining after dark we've ever had. <laughs> or, or it might not be. Well, right we'll now, we'll leave most it for entertaining to, to us. Determine. Yeah. What is this? Universal iPad tablet. Oh, it's not even the waterproof thing I just clicked on from beachdoor.com isn't even available anymore. <sighs> Anyway. All right, Don. All right, Ben. Have a great day. All I'm right. going to go have a bath. All right. I'm going to go I'm going to go uh, have Oleg um uh, manipulate my shoulder. That's not no. a euphemism. That's not <laughs> go. <laughs> well, give give Oleg a high five after uh, maybe before. I uh, he's, he's very stern. I don't think he likes high fives. Well, just like I mean sm- uh, smile knowingly at him or there, something. There you go. I'll give him a little wink and a little Oh, oh no! I think I found it. Oh, thank God! Hundred percent protection from water, humidity, sand, and snow. Durable film bags. There we Zip-lo- go. They're just Zip-lo- they're just bag. they're just not uh, clear, but <laughs> well, they got writing on them. Oh, well. what is wrong with these people? All right, let's get. I'm I'm working on it. All right, uh, all right, Don. We'll talk to you later. All right, bye-bye. bye bye. Bye.